Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about disability and identifying as disabled as a person with endometriosis. There is a lot that we want to cover on this topic, so we're actually going to have at least three episodes. One on disability with endometriosis in general, which is today's episode. We're also going to have an episode on ableism, one of our favorite and most hated topics. And then we're going to have an episode on the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and workplace accommodations. Today, we're going to talk about disability in general, and we want to set the groundwork for the next two episodes on ableism and the ADA. Before we start, we just want to remind you to check out our website in 16years.com. There we have resources for endometriosis as well as the show notes for each episode. If you'd like to support us, you can rate our podcast in your podcast app, reach out to us via email or Instagram, or buy us a coffee via the support page on our website. First, we want to start by defining what a disability is. And to do that, we're just going to take the actual word disability and how it is listed in the dictionary, the good old Merriam-Webster dictionary. And it says that disability is, quote, a physical, mental, cognitive, or developmental condition that impairs, interferes with, or limits a person's ability to engage in certain tasks or actions or participate in typical daily activities and interactions, end quote. While I think that is a comprehensive definition of the word disability from the dictionary, interestingly, depending on the context or on the policy or the program in relation to disability, the definition of disability can change. So for example, the definition of disability to qualify to receive disability social security benefits is different than the definition of disability under the ADA or the Americans with Disabilities Act. And then on top of that, the meaning of disability or the definition of disability has also changed over time, and it changes over various social and cultural contexts, which I think is really interesting. And in the next episode on ableism, we're actually going to talk about the social model and the medical model of disability, and how those different ways of thinking about disability differ. Today, we're going to focus on the definition of disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. This is a United States civil rights law that was enacted in 1990, and it prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities, such as at work, at school, in transportation and in public, and private places open to the general public. Places like buses, restaurants, museums, stores, golf courses, doctor's offices, movie theaters, hotels, etc. I love that the purpose of the ADA is to prohibit discrimination against people with disabilities, but as we all know, discrimination happens every single day, regardless of the laws in place. And we know that many of our listeners are not in the United States, so we're also going to give you the World Health Organization, or the WHO, definition of disability after we talk about the ADA. But we think that the ADA assessment criteria will be really helpful for everyone listening, Because it breaks it down into specifics, and it may be helpful for you to assess yourself and explore your own identity when it comes to disability. I definitely found the ADA criteria helpful in that regard. And, you know, we're going to talk more about personally identifying as disabled or a person with a disability after we explain the ADA, when we're done with our big conversation about the ADA criteria. So this law was enacted to protect people with disabilities as 
We should have the same rights and opportunities as non-disabled people. Woohoo! Yeah! The ADA definition is a legal term, not a medical one. And as we said before, it's not the same as the criteria to qualify for Social Security disability benefits. The ADA defines a person with a disability as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. All right, Brittany, let me ask you, is there a specific list of health conditions or impairments that qualify as a disability under the ADA? No, there's not. There's no list. Good. No no national registry. Good. No certification process. Good. There's nothing for you to do or complete to qualify, which is a good thing because there's many physical and mental impairments that could substantially limit any of our major life activities. Okay, but I want to ask a question about endo specifically to you, Amy. Does endometriosis substantially limit one or more of our major life activities? Hmm, let me think for a minute. I know it's a really hard question. Limited one or more. Hmm. I think you might need a couple minutes to come up with something. Yeah, I'm pondering here. Hmm, That's a real brain scratcher. Ponder, ponder. It's really hard to do (laughs) with the brain fog, too. I'm like, oh, yeah. Is it limiting one of my major? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. If we listen to any of our previous episodes, I wonder if we could find out. Hmm, I don't know. (laughs) God. It's a hard question. I feel like I'm really living my life to the fullest and doing every single task. Just nothing stops me or bothers me any of the time. Well, of course, we are all different, and of course, all of our symptoms are different, but I bet that almost every person listening to this podcast right now is, like, screaming yes and nodding their heads, like, yes, 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 endometriosis substantially limits one, not just one, multiple, many, many, many of our major life activities. So keeping in mind that we all have different symptoms and we all have different experiences with endometriosis, today we do want to speak to the individuals out there who are having endometriosis substantially limit their major life activities. So to determine if endometriosis substantially limits one or more of our major life activities and like what does that really mean? We want to go further into the definition of what that means and we're going to really break it down to, you know, what's a major life activity, what does substantially limit mean, how long does it have to limit us? We want to read some really helpful information that is from a form that my employer gave me. And this is a form that my employer gave me when I let them know that I wanted to seek disability accommodations for endometriosis. And it's a form that my doctor had to fill out and sign. And the purpose of the form was to help determine if I qualify for disability accommodations under the ADA. So the form is called Medical Inquiry Form in Response to an Accommodation Request. And the form is provided by the Job Accommodation Network, or JAN, which is a service of the United States Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy. Whew, mouthful. But they do have a really great website. It's askjan.org. And we're going to talk about that more in the episode we do on accommodations. But that is such a great website, and we have linked it in the show notes today, and it just really helps an employee break down the kind of accommodations that they can ask their employer for. And I found it to be really, really helpful when I navigated my own situation of asking for accommodations at work. So one of the first questions on the form asks, does the employee have a physical or mental impairment? Is there a follow-up question for does the employee have a physical and mental impairment? Because I would check that. Uh, <laughs> probably can I, it says can I do two checks for probably that one. <laughs> probably it says and or. Oh, okay. Then and and do I circle and and then check? Yes, yes, I check that off. Okay, I guess we're doing this out, Brittany. Yeah, me. Okay, <laughs> do it how I filled it out. <laughs> okay. Also, the form then asks as a follow up question: Does the impairment substantially limit a major life activity as compared to most people in the general population? When I checked that off, I checked it so many times that I actually ripped through the paper. So, <laughs> you, wrote the, um, <laughs> you wrote the word absolutely and just kept Circled like it until outlining it actually, the A of absolutely yeah, until yeah. you literally wrote into the desk. And yeah. now there is an A. I had to get the magic eraser and bleach <laughs> and get rid of the pen on my desk. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> 
So on the form, it says to answer this question about the impairment substantially limiting a major life activity when our condition is active and when there are no mitigating measures used. Ooh, so what do you mean by mitigating measures? So mitigating measures are things like medicine, so in our case, probably painkillers, medical supplies, you know, maybe things like heating pads. Mobility devices, some of us use a cane or a wheelchair. Assistive devices, psychotherapy, behavioral therapy, physical therapy, so treatments and things like that. So what that means is that your workplace can't say, okay, but we're only going to look at your condition as it falls when you are taking your painkillers every hour on the hour. And so we expect you to be in the workplace taking painkillers every hour on the hour. They can't do that? (laughs) While doing physical therapy. (laughs) Yeah, at your desk. (laughs) So essentially what they expect of me is that I have to have my heating pad on my chair, and then I have to bring a doggy pee pad to put that on my chair so that I can bleed into it because of the amount of blood flow. I can't, like, make it. So I have my doggy pee pad for my blood. I have my heating pad, and I have to pop pills every hour on the hour. Do they give me Kleenex for the tears? (laughs) Do I get any, like, are they going to, you, you know. You can use the doggy pee pad to stop oh, up your tears. Oh, I'll just have a second one for around you my You just neck. need to find a little corner that isn't already been drenched yeah. in blood. Yeah, there you go. Just wipe my little tears with that. At least in terms of the ADA, no, your employer cannot say to use all these mitigating measures and then be like, oh, look, she's fine when she has all these mitigating measures. No, it, the purpose to assess the criteria is when your condition is active and when there are no mitigating measures. When you are on your own, no heating pad, no medical supplies, no painkillers, no pop a time and all like that. That's a joke. Pop a Tic Tac more like it. You know, <laughs> I, I love that you insinuated that a workplace would say that I was fine because my mitigating measure is a doggy pee pad for me to bleed on. <laughs> I love it like, oh, that's fine. We're just going to put one of those car air fresheners in here for the smell. That's a mitigating measure. She's good. <laughs> Can you imagine? I love that you insinuated that. I can't. Brittany and I are feeling a little bit of like corporate America workplace yeah. bitterness right now. So when we get to the accommodations episode, we're going to let it rip. Yeah, a little a little capitalism down fire. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so the purpose is looking at your condition when it's active and when there are no mitigating measures. So like what kind of limitations and capacities do you have when you're not mitigating your illness when you're not taking all these measures to try to control your body. No, I just say control your body because my endo seems so out of control. (laughs) Control your red dragon. (laughs) Yeah, because the red dragon controls us. We know. (laughs) And another part of that that we want to point out is the use of the word active. So the form asks the question about when our condition is active. So active doesn't mean that your condition or impairment impacts you 24-7, but rather when you're experiencing those symptoms, when it's active. So active means active. Yeah, active. Okay, so active (laughs) means active. Active, yes. (laughs) Not when it's not active. Not when it's inactive. Mm. When it's active, active. Okay, when it's active. Yes. (laughs) So some conditions or impairments are episodic, but under the ADA, the impact your condition or impairment has on your major life activities is assessed when your symptoms are active. Yes, active. You got it. Are you proud of yourself? (laughs) Not when they are inactive. No, good job. Okay. I feel like I'm really getting this. I'm really grasping this. So this also applies to conditions that can go into remission, such as cancer. So we want to give a couple examples about what this means and what we're talking about. Yeah, we love examples. Make it concrete for me. Yes. Make it less theoretical, more literal. And these examples are on the website of the Great Plains ADA Center, which is part of the ADA National Network, which has a really great website that we have linked in the show notes. And on their website, they have a FAQ page, which is very helpful. Very, very comprehensive. I, I will say that if you are trying to navigate accommodations for the ADA, I really did not know before I began this process how many resources there are out there, like actual, reputable, solid resources to help you as the person with a disability figure out what accommodations are reasonable and what you need. 
So the ADA National Network provides information and guidance and training on how to implement the Americans with Disabilities Act in order to support the mission of the ADA. And they are actually funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. And the network consists of 10 regional ADA centers, which are located throughout the United States, and an ADA Knowledge Translation Center. So as I just mentioned, the Great Plains ADA Center is one of those regional centers. It's funny because the Great Plains is a part of the United States, and Brittany and I actually don't live there but I found their website to be really helpful. So that is the website. Thank you, Great Plains It was Regional. a really well done, like easily understandable website with a lot of examples. And I was like, yes, this is the website for me. So even though we don't live in that area, I relied on them for my own Yeah, the resources are translatable from the different regions of the country. Thank goodness. So we're going to share a couple examples about episodic conditions. And the first example that we want to give from the website is about a condition that went into remission. And this example is about a person named Jamal. To read directly from the website, quote, Jamal has completed chemotherapy and at his last follow-up appointment was told his cancer is in remission. Hold on, I just want to interrupt and go, yeah, great Yay! job, Jamal. We're happy for you. <laughs> Fictional Jamal, we're so proud. <laughs> <laughs> but will still require follow-up care. Jamal is concerned that he will no longer be able to use his flex schedule to make up time for follow-up appointments and continued treatments. I have to say that that was one of my concerns, too, after I got excision. Jamal's condition is in remission, but without continued treatment, the cancer would have a substantial impact on major life activities. Jamal's condition is considered a disability under the ADA, end quote. So in picking these examples, we tried to find ones that had parallels with endometriosis. We thought this was a really helpful example because... While here they're talking about a person with cancer and not endometriosis, you know, for many of us, endometriosis is very similar in the aspect that we may be having good days or we may have had excision surgery or we may have had pelvic floor therapy or we may be doing something that has improved our condition. But the improvement may really depend on what we're doing. You know, so in this example, it said that while Jamal's condition is in remission, without continued treatment, the cancer would have a substantial impact on major life abilities. And I really feel that way about endometriosis. So, you know, without continued treatment of endometriosis or continued care for my endometriosis, and by care, I mean, of course, we're all individuals and doing different things, but care for endometriosis could be things like pelvic floor therapy, getting enough sleep, changing our diet, doing acupuncture, taking a walk every single day, doing yoga daily, addressing our mental health. These are all aspects of, of living with a chronic incurable illness that severely disrupts our life. We may be doing well in this moment because of all the treatment and care that we're giving to our body and to our endometriosis, but a disruption to our treatment and to our care could, for many of us, cause a huge long-term flare or for us to significantly go downhill. And then endo would once more have a substantial impact on our major life activities, even more than it's already having now. Because for a lot of us, even though we're addressing our endometriosis with care, it's still having a major impact on our life activities. Maybe it's just having less of an impact. But for many of us, the impact has not gone away. And so just hearing this example that the Great Plains ADA website gave about this person with cancer, that really helped me a lot to conceptualize that when I asked for accommodation at my work, the truth is I am doing a lot better than I was doing a year ago. I am doing light years better than I was doing a year ago. But that's only because we've been working at home during this time because of lockdown and the pandemic. And what working from home has allowed me to do is things like sleep in for longer, so get better sleep, decrease my stress, take naps on my lunch break, eat freshly made meals at my lunchtime, be more flexible with my schedule. If I have to go back to the office and I'm not able to continue this care, then I have no doubt, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my endometriosis symptoms are just going to skyrocket once again and and they're going to 
even more substantially limit my life abilities than they are now. Yeah, that was interesting for me because when I think about my own experience and my own health, I'm doing okay working from home. Okay, I'm not doing okay working from home, but I'm doing better than I would be if I had to go into an office. I right. would actually On the be... scale of like crappiness, like yeah. I am doing so, so crappy. When we were going to the office, we were both at like nine out of 10. Yeah. Like we were laying under our desks, we were vomiting in trash cans. And now we're at home and we're still not doing great. We're more like we've dropped down to like a six. Yeah, I was going to say a six. A six out of 10. <laughs> so it's like on my scale of like how bad my symptoms are and how debilitating I am and how crappy everything is, it's improved drastically. But we're still not doing great. So we're yeah. like, we're doing great. It's like great for people with chronic illness. Yeah, not like great compared to what I was doing. <laughs> not like great for people who don't have chronic illness. Well, especially we don't we we don't we feel the I feel like we're defensive right now, but it's like we don't need to explain that to this community. (laughs) No, just like try and explain that to your work. Yes. Well, and it's hard to explain to the progression of illness and how, you know, maybe two years ago, pre-pandemic, I was, you know, doing this level. But now that I've been home and my disease has progressed, returning to the office would mean a 12 on the out of 10 scale. So it's hard to explain that. But it really put it in perspective for me that when I had a moment of self-doubt of thinking, well, I'm doing better than I was. Thinking about, well, if I had to do this in the office, I would be worse than I am right now and worse than I was previously. And that helped me to kind of understand what it meant to consider that as part of unpacking this. So now we want to give a couple more examples about episodic conditions or impairments, because I think that many of us with endometriosis experience this. And in fact, there's a term that many people with chronic illness use to identify as, which is dynamically disabled or having a dynamic disability, which we're going to talk about in a minute. The ADA doesn't speak about dynamic disability, but it does speak about episodic conditions. To give an example from the ADA Great Plains Center website, it talks about a fictional person named Marla. And it says, quote, Marla has multiple sclerosis and uses a wheelchair. At work, there are times when she walks short distances with a cane. When her condition is in remission, she only uses a cane. Some of Marla's co-workers think she shouldn't receive accommodations because she doesn't always use a wheelchair. Did anybody ask her co-workers what they think? Because we don't care what they think. <laughs> Preach! Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about ableism. Are you in Marla's body? Do you know what Marla experiences? No, then you can keep your mouth shut. (laughs) All right, I'll keep going with the quote. Brittany's interruption was very important. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, Marla is considered a person with a disability at all times. She does not have to use a wheelchair daily to receive accommodations related to using a wheelchair. End quote. Another example from the Great Plains ADA website is about a person named Lynn. Quote, Lynn has seasonal affective disorder. His symptoms of depression only affect major life activities at certain times of the year. Because Lynn's condition is long-term and impacts major life activities when present, it is considered a disability under the ADA, even though the condition is not always present, end quote. I think those examples are something that many of us could see applying to our own lives with endo. With endo, we may be in a moment of our life where our symptoms disable us 24-7. And if you are currently in that situation, we are so genuinely sorry. And we hope that that can change for you soon. On the other hand, some of us find us in situations where our condition is more episodic. And it's not debilitating or disabling us 24-7. At some times, we may be okay. Again, the relative okay, like the somewhat okay, not the like, woohoo, I'm so great. Although some of us may be super great, jumping for joy in our trampolines. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? Trampoline sounds dangerous. I don't need to add a broken <laughs> limb to whatever's going on with me. Who can jump? <laughs> That's my That's question. a lot of energy. Who has the core and it the It reminds me strength? of being a kid when I was able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for many of us, our condition is more episodic. Sometimes we're, you know, as okay as we can be, we're as great as we can be. And other times we're in a flare. Many times, oftentimes, we're in a flare. And if that's our case, then our disability is more dynamic. 
you know, our disability is not static and unchanging, but rather our capacities and our limitations, they're changing day to day or even moment to moment. Yeah, some days, even some hours, we are fine, but others, we literally can't do what we did yesterday or even an hour ago. Or even two minutes ago. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was fine. I was jumping on the trampoline that I just dropped to the ground. (laughs) I mean, I think we can all relate to that. Yes. (laughs) Calling ambulance. Actually, no. No, just put me in the back of your car, please. I can't afford the ambulance. Hold the ambulance. Do not. I don't want to pay for that. that. And also, I don't want to go to the ER. And then they're all like, why are you in so much pain? Just bring me to urgent care in the back of your car, please. You're too young to be in pain. I ran some tests and everything looks normal. The curse word. The, the hated, the hated word. <laughs> Makes me cringe. <laughs> Maybe we can't stand. Maybe we can't do the dishes. Maybe we can't jump on our trampoline. Probably that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably never. <laughs> Maybe we can't walk up a flight of stairs. Or we can't go to the bathroom unassisted. Or we can't perform our work tasks. And for most of us, when we can and cannot do these tasks and other tasks, It's totally unpredictable. And typically, we're thinking about our body all the time. Uh Uh-huh. There's never a moment that goes by that I'm not thinking about, what's that feeling? Why is that happening? I wonder what will happen later when I do this. I wonder Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next week when my period comes. I wonder what I'm thinking about my body and how it feels 24-7. Yep, yep, and yep. We have to put so much work into the background to be able to do our regular, quote-unquote, major life activities our work presentation, our camping trip, a trip to the supermarket, or even a trip to the shower. <laughs> I love how we call it a trip. It's like going, it's not going to the supermarket. It's, it's a, a trip. trip. It's it like, is. okay, do I have all the medical and energy output? <laughs> all right, I'm going to go do all the outer aisles. Then I'm going to ask the supermarket management to watch my car while I go back to the car and take a 20-minute nap. And I'm yep. going to say, do not put away the things that are in my car. I took all the items that are not I want them still. from the cold aisles. So they're all like, you know, things that can sit out. Hold my car. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to then go to the bathroom for like 20 minutes. And I'm going to take another nap. And then I'm going to come back inside. I'm going to grab my car again. And I'm going to keep shopping. You know, you should just bring a cot in at that point. Just put a cot in the aisle, put a little tent over you and be like, just walk around me, please. You put those cones, those orange cones yeah. for like, be careful of a liquid spill. And it's like, be careful an Amy spill. Of a blood spill. In aisle five. Biohazard. <laughs> walk Amy, around. It's a blood spill and a pee and a poo poo spill. Yeah. And Amy's, and the woman who did it is still laying in it. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> And then comes the age-old classic, should we call an ambulance for her? No, people, no. No, look, she has a giant note on her tent that says, do not call an ambulance. I guess we better listen. (laughs) Yeah, I tend to use the same tent that I go on my camping trips with, so I also put up the note in my camping ground. Whatever happens in here, whatever screams you hear, whatever quick runnings out to the forest and farting noises, vomiting, (laughs) whatever weird bodily bile sounds you hear, do not call 911. I like the tent in the supermarket because the bright lights are oh, they're quite, so harsh. They're intrusive. Ugh. And honestly, when you're in the middle of a flare, for me, some of the worst places I've had flares are places where there's been fluorescent lighting. Not having a flare because of the bright lights, but when you're having a flare and you definitely don't want the public eye to see you, and then they're all staring you under it's like the a spotlight. Br- <laughs> Literally, oh, it's you're like, can someone shut the lights off? And the off? sound of a supermarket and oh, the cold God. floor and the scuttling and the yeah. It's a horror. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a nightmare place, the supermarket. But thank you, Tent, for keeping me safe from the nightmare place. <laughs> I have to say now, just thank you that now that with the lockdown and the pandemic, so many supermarkets now offer free. Curbside has literally changed my life. Oh, yeah. That's Curbside pickup or grocery delivery has literally changed my life. Literally. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't get it before. Probably because it costs money. And, and so... I didn't really know about it. Like, it wasn't really well advertised, you know? It seemed more like a high luxury rather than just like I literally can't walk through the supermarket. I used to use the cart as a mobility device to get around the friggin' supermarket. So it's changed my life. Like, thank you, curbside pickup. Thank you, grocery delivery services. So like we talk about our sleep that day, our meals, our stress level, our exercise, our activities that we already did today, our, our conversations, the dishes we wash, our the neighbors trip to the we grocery store, to, 
If it's sunny, if it's rainy, no, really, because the weather pressure. Yeah. (laughs) If I woke up on time or five minutes early or five minutes late or got only one hour of sleep or three hours of sleep. If I took a shower, if I ate a mango, if I had sex. How many times I had diarrhea that day? Did I have a bowel movement? Did I have several bowel movements? Mm -hmm. Did I go pee? Did I drink a glass of tea? Did I drink a glass of coffee? All of that matters. Should I keep going? (laughs) I think we get it. (laughs) Well, all of those things, plus all the things that are in Amy's head that she wants to say right now, contribute to the severity of our symptoms every single day. It's accumulation of everything that's going on in our lives. And it's not our fault. Even though what happens throughout our day can change our capacity, it's not our fault that that happens to us. And it's not our fault that we have to think about it at all times, even though it's really exhausting and frustrating that we have to do that. Before we move on, I just want to say thank you, Brittany, for pointing out that it is not our fault because when every single thing impacts your endometriosis, and of course, this may not be true for everyone listening, but it's definitely true for me, and I think it's definitely true for a lot of listeners. But when every single thing that you do impacts the way that you feel and, you know, your energy level and your spoons, or I personally like to refer to my energy as my my draining battery. (laughs) My battery that's like says service now, battery no longer working properly. That's my battery. But when every single thing that you do affects how you feel, it becomes really easy to accidentally blur the line of this is my fault that I'm sick because I ate this thing or I didn't exercise or I didn't go to sleep on time. And like Brittany said, it is not our fault. And while we can try to make choices that you know, may help improve our situation, no matter the choice that we make, we're still going to have endometriosis. There's a huge line between empowering ourselves and taking steps to try to help with our symptoms and then outright blaming ourselves and feeling guilty and feeling angry with ourselves. And I was in that other territory for so many years of my life, that territory of self-blame instead of self-empowerment and responsibility. And now I'm over in the territory of self-empowerment and responsibility. So we just always want to hammer home that although food and sleep and activities and all these things impact your endometriosis, it's not your fault that you're sick. It's not your fault because you ate X, Y, Z. It's not your fault because you exercised or didn't exercise or did this thing or didn't do this. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And we shouldn't punish ourselves for things that aren't our fault. And that means self-punishment, either self-imposed or restricting ourselves in other ways or not allowing ourselves to do things or holding ourselves back because we feel guilt or shame, which we shouldn't feel. And I think noticing that we punish ourselves sometimes is a really eye-opening moment to realize that I'm inflicting something on myself that I don't deserve. And that's a really hard thing that we do to ourselves and we shouldn't because it's not our fault. Hearing all of these examples has been really interesting and put a lot into perspective for me because if I just think back to the days before I had ex- the days, <laughs> the days, the years, the months, <laughs> the decades, the epic saga before excision, <laughs> <laughs> the 16 years before excision, you know, I would have to say that I was routinely debilitated for about six full days a month. And then I was somewhat okay for about, you know, 20, two, 24 days a month. But then, of course, it all depended, as we said, on like what I did. So if I had sex, then I would become debilitated again for the next 12 to 24 hours. If I ate starchy foods, then I would become debilitated again from pain for the next two days. Once I took a vitamin on an empty stomach, apparently don't ever do that if you have my body. And even though they say, take this on an empty stomach, no. Don't listen. Do not. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. I can't take like any vitamin on empty. I can't take anything on an empty stomach. I can't even take a glass of water no. on, on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a vitamin on an empty stomach, as said on the back of the bottle, and I was debilitated in pain for the next three hours. Now that I'm starting to think more about disability and, you know, how I feel about identifying as disabled, when I think about these moments when I'm debilitated, this is the language that I would use. You know, I would say, like, I'm debilitated in pain or I'm debilitated in my bed. I've never thought, oh, I'm disabled or I'm disabled in this moment. The terminology that I had available to me was, I'm having a flare. And I think that's what many of us say. 
But now when I look at it as this perspective of having a dynamic disability, you know, I can really see for myself that when I personally say I'm debilitated in pain right now, what I'm actually meaning is pain has disabled me. Like, I don't mean when I say I'm debilitated that I've been weakened or that I've been exhausted. What I mean is that I'm incapacitated and I cannot do my major life activities. You know, sometimes I cannot even move from the bed when I'm in this state. Like, I literally cannot even roll over. And I know that many of you have found yourself in the same situation. And so, like Brittany said, with endometriosis, for many of us, our disability, it it really is dynamic. On some days, we have the capacity to do many things. And on other days, we literally cannot roll over in bed. Like we literally, the remote control is like two inches away from our hand and we're trying to stretch out our hand and we're trying to reach the remote. We're just trying to get it and we can't get it. (laughs) I need to train my dog to be able to pick up things that I need and bring them to me. I need to tie the remote (laughs) to my wrist. It's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. You know, literally you cannot scooch over an inch to get the remote because that is how much pain you're in, especially like in your core region in your abdomen like you cannot move you're like oh do not sneeze do not get up don't breathe (laughs) do not blink do not cough (laughs) we have a no bend over rule in my house where i'm not allowed to bend over ever so whenever (laughs) anything is on the floor or out of reach Brainy gets those really long tongs i need to get those hand those grippy things with the the ones that you use after surgery yeah Yeah. be so great but for now i use a husband (laughs) (laughs) And he graciously picks things up off the floor for me. So (laughs) that's really helpful. My boyfriend, though, travels a lot for work. So there's been so many times for like a month or two months at a time that I'm completely alone in the house. And I'm like, (laughs) you should train Suki. I'm telling you, (laughs) she can do it. She's smart. (laughs) We call the kitty. Come here, kitty. You see that remote? It's a mouse. Push it Get forward. It, baby. Get push, it. Push it forward with your little nose, honey. You can do it. Yeah, bat it back into mommy's hands so she can change the Netflix channel. I love it. So the terminology dynamic disability, when we were looking that up online, we did see that some people attributed this term to Brianne Benes. Brianne runs a podcast called No End in Sight, which is about living with chronic illness. So I don't know if she is actually the one who coins the term dynamic disability to describe how disabilities can be dynamic and they can change and they can fluctuate in severity and change moment to moment, day to day, hour to hour. But since she was mentioned by others, I want to make sure to credit her. All right, I want to kick it back over to Brittany. Kick in the gut. Okay, wow. Now she really can get out of bed. (laughs) Yeah, now thank you. (laughs) All right, just kick her in the butt. Better than the gut, I guess. Well, there's more padding. More padding back there. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) All right, I want to give it back over to Brittany. I want to say, Brittany, we've been talking, talking, talking. What is a major life activity? Great question. So the Great Plains ADA Center says that, quote, major life activities are basic activities that most people can perform with little or no difficulty, end quote. And it also says that, quote, major life activities also include the activities required for body system functioning, so conditions which affect the functioning of the digestive, neurological, immune, and circulatory systems, etc., would be considered conditions that affect major life activities, end quote. So I want to ask you about you. When your condition is active with no mitigating methods... I want to go back to the form that my employer gave me that we mentioned before. The form's name is Medical Inquiry Form in Response to an Accommodation Request, which, as we said, was provided by the Job Accommodation Network. It had these two questions for the doctor to answer. So the first question was, what major life activities are affected by our condition or impairment when it is active with no mitigating methods? So a while back, I actually posted a screenshot of my form on Instagram and all the things that my doctor ticked off. So what it is is they, you know, have all these different life activities, and then the doctor has to put a check mark if they're substantially limited when your condition or impairment is active. Let's go ahead and ask Brittany. Let's pretend that Brittany is the doctor. Dr. Brittany. Oh, Dr. Brittany, when now, of course, and we want to remember that everyone is an individual and everyone is different. So we're just going to do like a very general endo case 
severe symptoms with endometriosis. That's what we're referring to here. This doesn't mean just because Dr. Brittany over here says, yes, yes, that is substantially limited. That doesn't mean that it's substantially limited for you or for everyone with endometriosis. We're just doing like based on the form that my doctor filled out and just like a general example. This is fictional person with endometriosis number one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dr. Brittany. Is bending affected, Dr. Brittany? That's an absolute yes from me. Did nobody hear what I said about the no bending rule in my house? (laughs) No one cares what you say as a patient. It's about what the doctor says. Okay, well, I Um, told the doctor and the doctor (laughs) heard my no bending rule and said, okay, yes, no bending. (laughs) And of course, we were kidding. Of course, our view as a patient is extremely important, but we're just joking around here about that whole like, oh, it's only important if the medical authority says it. And we It's only important if the person who doesn't live in your body says you experiences that. (laughs) And we're going to talk more about that when we talk about the medical versus the social model of disability. Mm, Can't wait. Who's the authority figure Mm, in each model? Different. Mm. Mm, Sneak peek. (laughs) Mm. The medical model puts a lot of focus on the doctor. Mm. And not on the person living Some with a disability. misguided focus, if I may. Next, we have breathing. Well, if the patient has thoracic endometriosis, they may have their breathing affected. What about caring for self? I'm going to say hell yes, <laughs> because <laughs> caring for yourself is a full-time job and really difficult because of all the things that are also about to be checked off on this list. Who has tried to take a shower with endometriosis? Oh, God. A nightmare. <laughs> and then passed out. A burden. <laughs> Who owns a shower chair? Me. <laughs> oh, a little shower bench goes a long way. <laughs> Who needs someone else to actually wash their hair when, when it's hair washing week? Oh. Me. <laughs> Who skips a shower for far too long because the thought <laughs> of having to put forth the energy to get into a shower is just too much. Me. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Who cannot even brush their teeth on some days? Me. Me. But really when we say me, we're saying us, but we don't want to put words in your mouth. Yes. So me. (laughs) Yeah. Is concentrating affected? It absolutely can be, especially if you experience heavy brain fog or migraines or headaches. Oh, how fun. Mm -hmm. Wait, I have the next one. Eating. I think we know the answer to that one. Next! (laughs) Hearing. Typically unaffected. Okay, good. We have one. I think the point is to get as little checked as possible. (laughs) Is this not a bingo card? Don't we want to fill the bingo card? (laughs) No. Here are all the ways that endometriosis affects me. It's actually kind of depressing. When I got back the paperwork from the doctor and I saw all the check marks, more check marks than not check marks. I guess more ticks than not ticked. More ticks than unticks. Okay, the brain fog is (laughs) more checks than empties. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Brittany. (laughs) I I felt depressed. Like to be honest, in that moment I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like just honestly looking at the ADA accommodation paperwork and the criteria and trying to assess for myself, can I ask for a work accommodation? Do I qualify under the ADA? And then realizing like, yes, yes, absolutely, yes, it just, I felt sad. And I also felt empowered. So that's why we're going over this in such detail because, well, we'll get to that after. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. So we have one. Okay. Interacting with others. That's going to be an absolutely, especially because my disease is active when we're filling this out. I never want to interact with others during that time. <laughs> it's really easy to interact with others when you're rolling on the ground in pain. Yeah, my interaction with others is my screams. You're, I hope they like it. The ambulance driver. You're like, hey, I thought we made clear I didn't want an ambulance. Here you are. You can turn that wheelie thing around and just head on your way. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, wagon. But it more comes out like this. Oh, you're here. Thank God. I really didn't want an ambulance, but I'm so happy. But now that you're here, oh, God, I have to pay for you anyway since you were called out. You might as well take me I've been alone in my bed. Please help me. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, learning. Typically not affected. Lifting. That's a definite effective, just like there's a no bending rule. There should also be a no <laughs> lifting rule. Can you imagine your core lifting your arms up and your back, your legs shaking? I can't even oh. lift a pencil when I have a flare. <laughs> Seeing Amy try to lift anything anytime <laughs> is quite humorous. <laughs> An imaginary pencil. Like, I can do it. A Amy is the brains and I'm my, the brawn, okay? A spoon in my mouth so I can eat. 
I did have to feed you ice chips post-surgery, <laughs> so I did have to help with that. Performing manual tasks. Absolutely. Because that encompasses the bending and the lifting and the squatting and the... So, yeah. Reaching. Just like lifting. <laughs> yes. This is redundant. <laughs> yes. How many times do I have to say yes? <laughs> Reading. That could be affected, especially by brain fog and migraines. Seeing. Typically not affected. Sitting. Yes, typically affected. <laughs> very, very affected. As, uh, as we sit here right now, both going, uh, Especially sitting if you're wearing pants. Which... Especially sitting if you have a menstrual cup or tampon in. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> that hurts. Sleeping. Absolutely. Times a thousand. No one knows what sleeping is What anymore. is sleeping? <laughs> to even check that off. Sleeping. I think I need it to find for oh, me. Oh, I had that long ago legend. A long time ago. People used to lay down for eight to nine hours and go go unconscious and not move and not be disturbed and be calm. And their bodies would just rest and heal and repair. So I've heard. I fell asleep at 5 a.m. last night, so I literally don't know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Then I slept for an hour. Yeah, it got up at six. (laughs) Speaking. Yes, that could be affected, especially at the height of... Your symptoms. Yeah. And especially with brain fog, sometimes getting mm-hmm. the words out. Honestly, sometimes in our customer service job, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good today. And then I get a call and I'm just like, uh, um, eh, eh, eh. and they're like, one time this woman was pretty mean on the phone and she was like, how old are you? <laughs> old enough to like, know better, but young enough to not be able to get my words out. <laughs> no, she didn't mean like, are you a two-year-old? But I think she meant like, how old are you? Like, are you qualified to do this job? And I, <laughs> no, no, I I'm not. I had to like take some breaths and I was like, come on, words, come to the tongue. And then I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm having a, a bit of a, a scatterbrained moment right now. I was like, well, I don't know what the, and plus the words were all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, um, it, scatter, um, you know, brain, it's uh, acceptable for um, some jobs. They call them. It's okay in some professions. Isn't there a trope of the absent-minded professor? Why can't I be an absent-minded customer service person? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They're like, oh, so is there a discount on this XYZ product? And you're like, um, words escape me right now. Check out our website. I don't even know what that product is. Where am I? (laughs) Well, I think that'll lead us to, I'll just jump down one and then go back. So I think we'll say um, thinking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think... If anybody were to hear the unedited versions of our podcast, they, <laughs> would realize, like they would realize how affected speaking and thinking are with our symptoms. It is a jumbled mess. <laughs> and sometimes Brittany and I repeat the same sentence more or five times. times. <laughs> or I'll ask Brittany a question and she'll be like, let's confer about the answer first because I'm just not sure. I'll be like, did you eat breakfast this morning? She's like. Well, let's confer. Uh, I can't remember. I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember putting a bowl in the dishwasher and like washing a plate. I don't remember anything else. And then else. I'm not hungry. So I'm thinking, and I'm like, oh, but she's like, let me text my husband. I'm like, okay, it doesn't just make up an answer. No one really cares. My favorite is when the words come out really wrong. And then the other person's like, wait, I don't think you said that right. You're like, what did I say? And they're like, I don't know. Amy and I do that a lot with each other. Like, I think it's pronounced this way. Is it? I don't know. Let's ask Google. And it's a normal word like hammer. Like, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's just. We got the word medical wrong. I said yeah. medical three times instead of medical. And Brittany's like, you're not saying that. Right. I was like, yeah, I'm saying medical. <laughs> like, that's, that's what you're not saying right. So we are a mess in here. We are a mess. Yeah. Thank God this is not live. We will never do an Instagram no, live. Not with the brain fog. Uh-uh. We'll go back. One, two, standing. Is standing affected? Absolutely. Just like sitting is affected. Is walking affected? Absolutely. Have you ever been behind me while I'm crunched <laughs> over in a flare? Uh, beep, beep. You're in my way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in your way for a long time, Sally. Is- go around. <laughs> <laughs> is working affected? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. All right. Now we're going to swap roles and Amy is going to be the checker offer. And we're going to talk about major bodily functions that are affected by the impairment when it's active and with no mitigating measures. You ready? We're going to start with your favorite. The bladder. Yep. Urgency, frequency, pain. And if I think about it for too long, I start to pee. So move to the next one. Bowel. Urgency, frequency, pain. And if I think about it too long, I start to poo. So move to the next one. Brain. Um, 
Uh, Maybe a yes on that one, just based on your answer alone. (laughs) That's where there's no urgency frequency. That's where we need the urgency frequency. And there's a lot of pain. (laughs) Cardiovascular. Typically, no. Circulatory. Typically, no. Digestive. Hold on. Let me give a long (laughs) 10-minute laugh like Brittany The answer I gave to food? You mean (laughs) eating? Yes. 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 In every way you're imagining? Yes. 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 (laughs) So many yeses that now there is a hole in the paper and into the desk. So many yeses that the word yes now sounds like a (laughs) made-up word. (laughs) Endocrine. Yep. Genita urinary. Yes, yes. Genital urinary, yes. Genital urinary, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Hemic? No. Bloody problem. (laughs) (laughs) Immune? Typically no. Lymphatic? No. Musculoskeletal? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Mm, (laughs) A big fat yes. Yeah, you know that pain everywhere. Ooh, hurts all over the place. Yep, yep. Ooh, the leg pain. Ooh, ouchie, ouchie. Stop talking about pain. Ooh, the arm pain. Not hurt. Ooh, the finger pain. Ow. Ooh, the neck pain. Ow. Yeah, ooh, the back pain. Ow. Oh, the muscle pain. What about the heart pain? What about the soul pain? <laughs> <laughs> what about the emotional pain? Where's that on this list? They don't have it. The next is neurological. <laughs> no. Normal cell growth. No. Operation of an organ. Depends. But a possible yes. Possible yes. Possible maybe the kidney, maybe the bladder, maybe the bowel. So in an Amy case, yeah, there was. Pre-excision. <laughs> and <true>. multiple. <laughs> that is true. Bowel blockages. And one ovary down says there was an issue with an <laughs> organ. <laughs> what about reproductive? Duh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Was that one gray? <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that one obvious? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Okay, respiratory. In the case of lung endometriosis, highly likely. Special sense organs and skin. I'm going to go with no. All right, we have established so much and yet so little. So we're going to keep talking about major life activities. And we've established that for the majority of us, endometriosis affects one or many, 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 many major life activities. And part of the ADA definition is that the limitation has to be substantial. So to assess if the limitation is substantial, we have to ask ourselves, what is the nature and severity of the impact of our condition or impairment on these activities? And how long will the impact last? So we want to take another example from the Great Plains ADA Center website because they had really clear examples. And we think that this one has parallels with endometriosis. So the example says, quote, two employees experience migraine headaches. One employee has a severe migraine headache two to three times a year, causing her to miss up to three days of work annually. Another employee has a severe migraine headache three to four times a month, causing him to miss up to four days of work each month. In this scenario, the severity of the condition is similar, but the frequency and impact on major life activities is different. While experience of migraine headache is not uncommon in the general population, the severity and frequency of the second employee's migraines result in a substantial impact on major life activities. End quote. And then another example that the Great Plains ADA Center gave is if an employee hurts their back. And this employee hurts their back and they're out of work for two weeks. And then they heal. Well, that impact on their major life activities was short term. It was severe, but it was short term. And so it's not considered a disability under the ADA. So I thought those are really good examples because, like, let's take the first example with the severe migraine headache and they compared the two. Even though both had migraine headaches so severe that they missed work, One employee missed work a couple of times a year, three times a year because of their migraine, but the other employee missed work four times a month, every month. So although the severity is the same where every time these people will get a migraine, they would miss work, the frequency is so much different. Missing work 
three times a year versus 48 times a year because of migraine headache, you know, four times a month, 48 times a year because of migraine headache is so, so different. And that really reminds me of endometriosis because, you know, with endometriosis, we're frequently missing work. We could be missing work once a week. Maybe our period comes from missing a week a month, every single month that we're missing our first day of our period. And then we're missing if we have sex and then we're missing if we eat a potato or we eat a piece of pie or we eat a blah, blah, blah. So the severity and also the frequency is important here. Yeah, and the back example was interesting as well, because if a person puts their back out and they are out of commission for two weeks, which is awful, but after those two weeks, they do heal. So basically, their major life activities are no longer impacted. So it's like shut and done. And they're able to return to doing those activities with little to no difficulty. Whereas somebody with endometriosis, that is repeated either daily or monthly, and that doesn't go away. That doesn't heal and stop affecting them in the same way that your back healing does from a muscle pull. Wow, I just want to imagine for a minute, like, ooh, shut and done. Imagine. Shut and done case. It's over after one month. Can you imagine? It's just like, yeah. I had endo for one month, and I was <laughs> I was 23 when my endo happened for one month. How old were you? <laughs> oh, I was 17 when it happened for one month, and now it's over. Now it's fine. Oh, that would be so amazing. Gosh. That would be so Let's different. live in that utopia for a second. Oh, I love it. I guess that's the difference between, like, chronic illness. And um, acute. Yeah. Acute is the mm. cute one, comparatively. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. I get why. <laughs> Another aspect of disability that we wanted to mention that often comes up in conversations for people with endo or a term that we may have used ourselves about our endometriosis is the concept of an invisible disability or an invisible illness. For endometriosis, the illness is invisible many times, and our disabilities and presentations of our symptoms can also be invisible. Things like fatigue and brain fog, pain, nausea, these are all invisible. Ooh, invisible. Not to us, but to everyone else around us. They're like ghosts that follow us. Yeah. They're haunting us. Although when you look at us, it may not be noticeable, depending on how severe it is. But it may not be noticeable that we're not well in that moment due to the posture or the heating pad we have plugged in, the shoes on the wrong feet, the socks on the hands due to the brain fog. Maybe that is more visible in that moment. But many times when most people think of disabilities, they think of visible disabilities and mobility-related disabilities, like using a wheelchair or a cane. But many disabilities are not visible, so we don't have to have a visible disability to be covered by the ADA. In our episode about internalized ableism, we're going to go more in-depth about the psychological and emotional impact of being a person with what could be considered an invisible illness or invisible disability. So that pretty much wraps up our discussion that we're going to have today about the criteria for the ADA and the disability assessment. Quickly, though, we do want to outline the World Health Organization criteria. And, you know, just to mention that, since, as we know, the ADA is the Americans with Disabilities Act, although we hope that that was helpful for everyone listening, even those listeners who are not in the United States, to kind of get a better idea, at least of, you know, what things would qualify under the law, although we know that it's the law in the United States and that every country is different. It's just, I think, interesting and validating and empowering to see that we may potentially qualify for disability accommodations and that can empower us to ask our workplace or to feel more confident. And we're going to talk further on that in Again, the episode on internalized ableism, because we have so much to talk about on this topic. We tried to find how we could split up these episodes in a logical way that makes sense. So today we really just wanted to focus more on like some definitions of disability. And then we're going to go into in our episodes on internalized ableism, more discussion on identifying as disabled, the language that we can use around it. And beliefs that we could have, like feeling like an imposter, or I don't know if I'm disabled enough to identify as being disabled, I think is a really common one and one that I had as well. So we want to go further in depth on that. We want to devote an entire episode on that because these beliefs that we have inside of us, they can be really strong. 
So to outline the criteria from the World Health Organization, you'll actually see that it's pretty similar to the ADA, and there are three dimensions to disability according to the WHO. And we'll just go ahead and quote directly from their criteria, and this was taken off of the CDC website, in, which is the Center for Disease Control in the United States. And it says, in reference to the WHO, the three dimensions of disability are, quote, Impairment in a person's body structure or function or mental functioning. Examples of impairments include loss of limb, loss of vision, or memory loss. Activity limitations such as difficulty seeing, hearing, walking, or problem solving. Participation restrictions in normal daily activities such as working, engaging in social and recreational activities, and obtaining health care and preventative services. End quote. So basically, according to the World Health Organization, a disability is any condition or impairment of the body or mind that makes it more difficult for the person with the condition to do certain activities and interact or participate with the world around them. So we've gone ahead, we looked at the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of disability. We looked at the ADA criteria. We've looked at the World Health Organization criteria to disability. Something that I just want to go back to is when we were talking with Brittany and we were being Dr. Amy and Dr. Brittany, and we were talking about all the different marks that the doctor had ticked off about when my endometriosis is in its active state with no mitigating measures. And, you know, the doctor went ahead and they ticked off bending, sitting, standing, lifting, thinking, caring for oneself. I mean, there was way more ticked off than there was empty. And to be honest, it was just like getting that paper back was so, I don't know, I for, I just felt so affected in that moment emotionally looking at that paper because I realized, even though I, of course, I knew this because endometriosis has been affecting my life for the past, at this point, 20 years. Like, you know, our podcast is going on for three years now and it took 16 to get my diagnosis. Like, for the past 19 years, endometriosis has been severely affecting my life, my work, my activities, my everything, just like it has, I'm sure, for so many of you. But seeing it on a paper ticked off by the doctor, seeing that laid out in black and white like that, literally with the check marks being like, okay, you know, bending, sitting, standing, thinking, reading, speaking, interacting with others, like seeing all that ticked off and knowing that it has such a substantial impact, a negative impact on my life. I don't know. It just, it just felt, I just felt so much grief in that moment to just really understand, like to just see it there and understand that endometriosis is so serious, you know, and our symptoms are very serious and it really has limited for so many of us, our capacities and our daily functions and our dreams and our hopes and our lives have gone in such different directions than we thought they would. And I don't know, it's just, it was really sad. And next week, we really want to explore more of these feelings of this psychological impact that endometriosis has on us. And also the feelings that it was only really seeing it on that paper where I felt like, okay, you know what? I am a person with a dynamic disability. Like endometriosis is disabling in many moments for me. I do have an episodic condition where I have these flares and endometriosis limits me and impacts me. And for me, and I think for many listeners, it can be really hard not to feel like an imposter, not to feel like, am I sick enough? Am I disabled enough? I think so often we feel we feel like a burden, but then we feel like we're not enough, but then we feel like we're too much, then we feel like we're not sick, we're too sick, but then we're, we're really sick and we need help, but then we're not sick. So are we, are we sick enough? Like, there's just so many conflicting feelings. And next, in the next episode, we really want to take the time to unpack all of these feelings and to talk further about identifying as disabled and just what it means to live with an invisible illness, to live with a dynamic disability. And we hope that this first episode was helpful to kind of lay the framework to understanding what the context of disability is, particularly under the ADA, and how that could relate to us and started to kind of get the gears turning about how that may affect us as people. 
This topic is really complex, but it's really important, and it's something that Amy and I are really fired up about. So we're not going to let you get away with only one episode about this. No. We got plenty planned. We got at least three more. We got to get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> and so we hope you'll stick around for that because we're going to really talk about how it feels to live like this and how all That's of us the fun feel like part, this. All the feelings, but yeah. first we have to lay the groundwork. Yes, we got to get the yeah. definitions, the technical because stuff out of the way. The, the truth is, like. Going over all of these examples and hearing, like, what does substantial mean? What does long-term mean? What what are the difference in the frequency? Like, all of that can really... Because the thing is, at least for me, when I just hear, like, kind of the really, you know, basic one-sentence definition without all the background information and just saying that the ADA defines a person with a disability as a person who has a physical or mental impairment or condition that substantially limits one or more major life activity... Like, it just doesn't feel real. Like, it just doesn't make me, like, when I hear that, I I don't think, like, oh, maybe I, with endometriosis, I have a disability. Like, I didn't feel empowered to ask for accommodations in my work. Like, I didn't feel like I belonged in this community. I didn't feel, like I said before, I just felt like an imposter. And going into such depth about what disability assessment and criteria is, at least under the ADA, it just really helped me understand disability better in general as a whole, but it really helped me understand myself better. And it helped me understand my identity better. And it helped me empower myself. And that empowerment is helping me improve my life because it's helping me get the courage to ask for accommodations that I truly desperately need at work. It's helping me feel more courageous and more validated and like this is my right and not oh should I ask for accommodation like I'm this I don't want to look weak and I I should be able to power through like this has helped me so much and that's why I wanted to make this episode as we said this is the first brick in our foundation and we're going to lay several more bricks throughout these episodes and we can't wait to further unpack topics like ableism and internalized ableism so much internalized so ableism it, yes so pumped to talk about them because it's something that's really prevalent and something that we encounter and it's really important for us to be able to identify it in others and how we interact and then also identify it within ourselves and some of those joking phrases that amy just mentioned that she doesn't deserve it i'm an imposter i don't deserve it i'm not disabled enough I'm we're gonna cover all of those in the next couple episodes so we're really excited to have you join us for that. And then for the final part, like we said, about actually the accommodations. Thank you so much for listening today. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendal, and we are on the website in16years.com. Please definitely reach out to us. We love hearing from you. We love conversing with you, meeting you, seeing pictures of your cat or your dog, whatever. But we love, yes, fine, your dog, send your dog pictures. <laughs> send me your dog pictures. Send Brittany your dog pictures and me your cat pictures. But and we... me all your other kinds of animal pictures too, please. Aww. Your birds, your cows, your pigs, your rats. <laughs> I like all of them. Your tarantulas, your oh, snakes. Oh, yes, please. Oh, I love snakes. Send them all. But definitely reach out to us. Thank you for spending this time with us, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>